I hope this to be a very uh, casual talk and mostly just hopefully a review for most of you. And where it's not review, I hope it's practical and helpful. I'm not giving a talk on per se, but uh, some practical tips. And some of you have um, talked on FMIS and was asked to go ahead and give it an AA because it was thought to be helpful. Let's hope. Um, so if we get through, I've only got 15 slides. If we get through them in 15 minutes, then we get a early night to go head over to Mother Road or whatever y'all are doing tonight. But, uh, or we'll try to wrap up uh, before five because it could take longer. Anyway, that's one as observed by chance. Okay. So um, what I love about infectious disease and antibiotics, uh, this is an area of medicine that is very closely interconnected to multiple um, studies within, uh, well, basic science to your clinical science, and so is really how it's really hard to have a uh, be a good doctor without having an underlying uh, knowledge of your pharmacology, and in our situation at hand with infectious disease microbiology, tying those together into the clinical science, uh, how do we treat our patients who come in with an infection, right? Oh, they got an infection, but what is the source of the infection? How do I use this? How is this medication going to treat this infection? And so there is this relationship between the three of these. And when they click, it's a beautiful light bulb and makes a lot of it easier than just like referencing some chart and maybe we'll take away some of the mysticism around infectious disease and wizards of antibiotics. Um, and disclaimer, I am not an infectious disease specialist. So uh, anyway, take that with a grain of salt. But I have worked in the hospital for a few years now. And so I'm coming from a, actually more of an inpatient perspective and um, some of it will have outpatient implications. So there's so many antibiotics out there, right? But we seem to like have a couple go-tos and there's rare infections and common infections. And really what should we ask ourselves as we approach a clinical situation where we think there's an infection involved? And if we ask ourselves the right questions, we usually can get to the right answer. And I think that's how it is in anything in medicine. If we're in a way self-critical or asking ourselves the hard questions to push ourselves to get to the right answer, then rarely do we like have someone catching our misses or whatever it is because we've already um, done due diligence. And um, so but sometimes we don't know the right, right questions to ask ourselves. And so this is where we should start. Um, so ask yourself, do I have the right antibiotic? Um, will this antibiotic treat the organism I intend to kill or 
please, in a bacteriostatic way. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so that's kind of a spectrum question with microbiology, right? Microbiology, know your epidemi epidemiologic, uh, like for this, um, like pneumonia, a community-acquired pneumonia, where your most common etiologies, like your strep pneumonia, hemophilus, et cetera, then you know, okay, I have this group of bugs and I need this kind of antibiotic that has the spectrum that treats those, right? So that's a spectrum question. Do I have, what organism am I gonna treat? What, do I have the right antibiotic for this? Okay, next, ask yourself, does antibiotic work where the infection is? So like, for example, an easy example would be, um, oral vancomycin, would I use that for a skin infection? No, no GI absorption of oral vancomycin. So I have the wrong antibiotic there, right? Um, if I had C. diff, great choice. But knowing your pharmacology, absorption, distribution, I mean, you don't have to get in all those pharmacokinetic stuff, but know some basics, like I'm not gonna use macrobid for pyelonephritis um, because it doesn't have enough renal uh, concentration in the kidneys to really kill or treat a pyelonephritis. I can use it for cystitis, but it just goes through the kidneys in a way that it does not uh, actually treat your pyelon, right? So this is a kind of a pharmacologic question. Do I have the right antibiotic for where the infection is going to be or the, where the infection is that I'm trying to treat? Right, and then there's patient factors. So we kind of had microbiology questions, we had pharmacology questions, and and then patient factors like, do they have CKD, and I have to renally dose this? Um, are they on certain medications that I need to worry about drug interactions? And then basically, once you've gone through these basic questions, you can get a right answer almost every time. And we'll go over some scenarios where we like um, compulsively unsold ID. And that's fine. There are those scenarios. Okay. And we have our resident ID there in the back, I see. <laughs> Just kidding. Dr. Leo rotated with Dr. Behenna and probably in some wizardry. That man definitely is a wizard. Huh? That man definitely he is. is. I love it. Anyway, <laughs> he should be here talking about this, but okay. So patient comes in and they got burning urination. Doc, it burns. You get this urine culture, and here's your susceptibility results. Yay. Everything looks easy. So basic question, what are we looking at here? Some of you who, who are here on this, don't, don't chime in. I wanna hear from those who hadn't uh, answered this before or uh, on FMIS. So um, what are we looking at here? Nebatic options. Antibiotic options, what do you mean? So <laughs> what I think is they took the sample and tried to grow it in the presence of these things. Mm -hmm. And the ones that grew 
despite the presence of the thing were graded as resistant and the ones that did not grow were rated. So these are specific antibiotics. These are names of antibiotics. Those are names of antibiotics. <laughs> These are names of antibiotics. And then over here, the, the interpretation tells me if that antibiotic is susceptible or resistant. You're saying it. I'm not totally. <laughs> the bacteria E. coli. Correct. Correct. Okay. Can I gather any other information from this? Can you clarify? The, the uh, MIC dilution will tell you relatively how susceptible or resistant they are. Okay. For my purpose, I don't care about this column. Dr. Lito, la, 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 la. <laughs> I don't care about this column. Okay. At the end of the day, susceptible, I know I can use it. This is your like ID. Um, they get into that stuff. They get into the weeds on that. But what can I gain from this column? What else? What does this column represent? Like the antibiotic column? Yes. So change how you're looking at this. You are not looking at a specific antibiotic. Oh, it's a class. You are looking at a class. Okay. Now, why is it arranged like this? Is this arranged in strength? Alphabetical. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the lab. They arrange it by alphabetical, which is totally impractical for us clinical people. Okay, so don't get confused by the order of these drugs, right? Because look, they put the ampicillin below your amoxicillin uh, clavulonic, right? Which uh, in our world, in our thinking, this is more broad spectrum than your ampicillin, right? Okay, we got cephazolin generation one, ceftriaxone generation two, but no, that's third generation, second generation. So, okay, lab does not set you up for success here, but you being the smarter clinician know that they just did this because it's alphabetical and that's how they like to put out results. But look at this by class and do not get confused by the order. Some of the like carbapenems and chloroquinolones though are, are not necessarily like identical in yeah. spectrum. Correct, correct. And we'll go over more of that. And that's why we have more than one. Okay. That this would not be considered same class, right? This would be like second generation uh, fluoroquinolone, third generation fluoroquinolone. Um, and there is, you can ask lab for more susceptibility. <laughs> ID will often like say, hey, give it for me. Give, I want you to add these, but this is a standard, right? And technically it's a standard based on the bug. And we'll see that in a, in a little bit because they don't run this on every single type of antibiotic. And we'll figure out why. So recalibrate your your uh, antibiotic susceptibility glasses, not to look at specific drugs, but classes of drugs, okay? So what is listed is classes, but they're testing a specific antibiotic of that class to determine the susceptibility of the class of that drug. But it just so happens to be cefazolin for, for generation, um, 
cephalosporins that is tested, but you then know that every first generation cephalosporin is susceptible. That's why if it's susceptible to cephazolin, well, cephazolin is an IV drug. What if I want to use a PO first generation cephalosporin, like Caflex? Can I use that? Yeah, even though they didn't test Caflex, it's in the same class, I can use it. Okay, so engage your mind to realize you're looking at classes. Okay. And so um, it is helpful. You don't have to memorize this chart. Okay, guys, don't memorize it. Um, maybe just the first half. No. <laughs> it does help to kind of know where things are, though, because when you're going to make a lateral switch, um, so from your ANSEF to Caflex, your Cephazolin uh, to, um, I need more coffee. Um, guys, help me. Cephalex, what is Cephalex? Cephalex. Yeah, golly. Um, that's a lateral switch, right? Same class, right? Versus escalating or de-escalating, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they came in on ceftriaxone and you saw that the second and first generation cephalosporin is susceptible. So you're making a de-escalation. But if, if they were already, like maybe this is an outpatient, um, you're, no, you wouldn't change your Caplex anyway. So understand you're looking at classes, okay? And there are some exceptions within the classes, but you're looking at it that way. That's why I can say um, I can use unison or augmentin here. Or I can use ampicillin, amoxicillin, um, your cefroxy or ceftriaxone. That's my IV. What's a PO? Ceftonir. So I don't need to test every single antibiotic. I'm testing classes. All right. Questions on that? Classes. Okay. So from this, we have a culture of Proteus arabilis which seems to be pretty resistant. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so they came into the hospital with this and you put them on ceftriaxone, empiric treatment. Mm -hmm. I haven't done anything for two days because they're resistant to the ceftriaxone. So what can you do here? We need to find an antibiotic that's susceptible. How many do we have here that are susceptible? Two. Three classes. There's three classes there, right? That are listed, that were tested, okay? And so we have the erdipenem, the cefepine, and oh look, augmentin. Interesting. Yeah. So what if they're really septic though and they're sick? What I use? Not augmented. That's oral. Unison. Unison. Right. It's unison susceptible. It is um, because it's the same class as your amoxicillin. It is your ampicillin or ampicillin. Yeah, whichever one. Okay. Again, I told you guys. Not an expert. Practical though. Practical. <laughs> um, that makes sense though? 
So unison would be a reasonable option. You're not using a super broad spectrum cepapim and panem totally would be overkill. That makes sense. So knowing the class, it looks like I got a strong resistance pattern, but I still have a pretty, um, I have susceptibility to this beta lactam that is more narrow. Okay, so sometimes uh, bacteria will have a, a funky pattern, but interestingly, penicillins sometimes are stronger than their uh, stronger, have more efficacy than their like cephalosporin counterpart. And if, if you've got a, a penicillin that is susceptible, go for it. Um, now again, ID would look at the middle column and maybe do something with it. All right. Patient gets admitted with sepsis secondary to pyelonephritis and the urine culture. The identification comes back um, a day later with Anaerobacter cloaceae, and you have her on ceftriaxone. Seems reasonable. I don't know. Let's look it up. Right, so you might get an, an antibiotic, I mean, a bacteria that you're like, eh, it's not my typical E. coli, it's not my proteus, it's not my whatever, that you don't like, because for most of us, we have a familiarity with the spectrum of some, or the, um, the resistance patterns of some of these bacteria, but you might get an oddball every now and then that you might say, hmm, is this okay to leave it on my empiric Yes or no? Well, Enterobacter are sometimes those weird bugs that don't have a straight across the board sort of um, susceptibility pattern. It's kind of splotchy, like they're okay with these, but not okay with these, right? So you might consult a, um, I use the Sanford guide and it's got this beautiful tail. I don't know if people in the back can see it. But if I'm going to look at, what is it, Enterobacter, look at this. I go down to Enterobacter cloacea, bam, there's not even a penicillin it's typically susceptible to. It's good on Merim. Oh, my goodness. She was on the Recephin, right? Ooh. Zeros. Okay. So... There are situations where you don't even have the susceptibility yet, but you know right off the bat that this bacteria never is sensitive to that bug, excuse me, to that robotic. Does that make sense? So wrong drug, without even knowing the susceptibility, wrong drug, okay? So enterococcus goes in this, um, uh, this category here, that SCAPP, Enero, uh, not enterococcus, sorry, enterobacter, uh, enterobacter, serratiae. Okay, so this, this chart is a little bit inaccurate. Okay, pop quiz, anybody want to? Yes, so it shows recepin on there. According to Sanford, it's a no-go. But also, anybody else see any errors in this chart? To look at. Which one's C? I'll just. Yeah, I'll just, 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 just can cover more stuff. 
What's that? Yeah, yeah, somebody said it. So, um, Doxy should have a, a wider box here. Um, here we go. Here's my wider box. Um, your, back. some of these are not susceptible to your zosins over here. Anyway, be careful with your resources. So Colin, now a day later, you get your enterobacter because you were so resourceful, you knew that um, penicillins and up to first, second, third generation cephalosporins aren't even, aren't, not even in the running, so to speak, for enterobacter. And so you had already switched it to cefepime, hoping it would be susceptible, and it was. But beyond your cefepime, you're, maybe you should switch to Cipro or Marum, but because of Cipro's you know, warnings, we tend to avoid chloroquinolones. Marum tends to be reserved for more resistant organisms. So cefepime would have been a good choice. Does that make sense? So that's just a practical approach question. I got a bacteria. Don't ignore the fact that you can make a clinical decision before you even have susceptibilities, okay? I think uh, something important about this case too was that the lab did not include cefepime mm. first. Like we got susceptibilities back, but cefepime wasn't on there. So we had to call them and they had already tested it and knew it was susceptible. They just didn't include it. Right. So we got that information back really quickly, but it, that was a thing. Like we went through and tried to figure out what would be a good antibiotic and then called to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes because the lab will have it's like standard panel of antibiotics. It'll test against the specific antibiotic. Right. Um, all right. Example, pseudomonas. This is pan-susceptible. Let's use anything. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> the lab only bothered testing antibiotics that can be susceptible. Okay. So, don't, so know that lab is not also going to waste their time with antibiotic testing. So you'll never see um, amoxicillin tested against pseudomonas. You'll never see ceftriaxone tested against um, Pseudomonas. You're going to see antibiotics that have known efficacy. Um, uh, yeah, I was looking for a different word, but efficacy against these, these bacteria tested, right? Side note on pseudomonas. That's one of those that you should have like a group of antibiotics memorized as far as what can I use, mm -hmm. right? For a couple of reasons. One, that you, you don't incorrectly assume you have pseudomonal coverage when you don't. I see that sometimes. And two, when you do have risk for pseudomonas, right? We talk about like community-acquired pneumonia with risk factors for MRSA or pseudomonas. Well, if you've got that pseudomonas risk factor, then you need to draw upon that list of antibiotics that are going to treat that, right? And so... Um, 
Interestingly, one that we commonly use that's not listed on this particular one, can anyone? No, think of, um, we use it all the time in the hospital. Hmm? Yeah. Am I missing it? It's not on there, right? It's not, no, it's not, not sure why it's not on there. But so who knows the um, third generation cephalosporin that treats pseudomonas? Good. You have that memorized. Good. And then above that, like cephalopine covers, right? Um, that's important because though that's that you just need to know which are which are okay to use. Okay. Another one you had um, the fluoroquinolones, right? <laughs> Your Profloxacin, um, levofloxacin, zosin, marum. Um, and then in the same, in that same vein of thought, do the same for MRSA. Okay. Pseudomonas, MRSA, they're both common enough, but have a limited uh, number of antibiotics compared to other bacteria. That it's worthwhile having a quick withdrawal. Yes, MRSA, I can use doxycycline, infomycin. So in your susceptibility charts, they will be testing antibiotics that are known to be susceptible uh, to have see against them. All right. You get this cult, you get, you don't have the urine culture yet. Um, it came back, you know, gram positive cocci and next, you know, a few hours later, enterococcus fecalis um, came in and you're like, oh, no problem. I was suspecting something bad. That's why I had them on cephapine. Are you okay? Anybody have a problem with that? Epipeme and enterococcus. Okay, all right. We get the urine cultures. All right, pan susceptible. Yes, we're good, right? We're good. Good. But I mean, it's I mean, it's it's more it's stronger than ampicillin. Get down. It's too right. Good. It should be good. Not necessarily. Why? It may not work. But is, is, I mean, do you know that for sure? I have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else venture? Help me out here, doc. I have anaerobic coverage. No, I have, I don't need anaerobic coverage. I just need this enterococcus. You should like de-escalate. De-escalate? I think it's also important to know if this was a possible contamination because usually this is like a fecal uh, GI source bug. And so if the urine was contaminated, then we might be over treating. So just- Sure. Okay. 
My point is here though, this is another one of those unique bacteria where it has splot and splotchy coverage is a thing I just made up today. Okay. It's not, but there is some penicillin activity, but Enterococcus totally jumps over cephalosporins mm -hmm. and zero activity with cephalosporins. So you, with your limited ID knowledge, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that, but like <laughs> we, like I, I just know Enterococcus right away, cephalosporins are out. Okay, so I actually had a um, a really interesting case where a PCP saw this patient. They came in for UTI symptoms. Just uh, sent the patient home on empiric Keflex. Urine culture came back looking like this. Okay, it's susceptible to everything. Didn't bother changing the antibiotic. Mm -hmm. This person came in septic with pyelonephritis a couple weeks later. And that's because enterococcus does not have any susceptibility to cephalosporins across the board, okay? So this is another one. Don't just assume you have susceptibility if it's not listed here, right? So like Dr. Human said, I'm gonna look it up and lo and behold, on my enterococcus, all the cephalosporins are red zeros. I can't use it. What? So lab didn't even bother testing it, right? Because they knew cephalosporins and enterococcus is waste of, waste of um, antibiotic. Okay, so my point is know your bugs. Um, and so I would say like your MRSA, your pseudomonas and your intercaucus have these interesting susceptibility profiles that they're worth knowing that, oh, if I ever see intercaucus, make sure I never choose a cephalosporin, right? And intercaucus is the bug that you hear VRE, right? That's when your vancomycin is not susceptible. Anyway, I just want to nail it, hammer that. Um, questions on that? Is that so? You could have, when you got this result, made sure that she's at or the patient's at least on amoxicillin or ampicillin or vancomycin um, and not leave them on that cephalosporin because you know right off the bat that the cephalosporin is doing nothing. Because what if it's like the third day you get your result? you realize for three days, the septic patient, I have not been doing anything for, right? So that, that's what I'm trying to encourage is a more proactive approach to your reaction to these culture results. Even though you don't have the whole susceptibility, if you have some of this, you, you can narrow or broaden, right? Uh, if needed. Uh, thoughts on that? Anyone seen a situation like that that they... A lot of these situations, like I'm talking about it in this way because I've seen them, seen it when, or we have missed that opportunity to make a more accurate or better selection. Okay.
thoughts, questions? Okay, so now you have the antibiotic, you got your susceptibility data. Um, then you ask yourself, okay, is this antibiotic appropriate for this infection, right? ENS or GU, skin, pneumonia, where is this infection? Is this the right bug? And some of this, you know, if, it, if it's obviously like um, an infectious endocarditis, that's when we're like into that like compulsory ID consult because we know they're going to be on a longer course and we certainly don't want to mess that up. Our valves are important. And so, you know, infectious endocarditis, osteomyelitis, those are definitely two um, clinical scenarios where we're almost always I would say always consulting infectious disease because we know they're going to need uh, a prolonged antibiotic course <clears throat> and likely ID follow-up. Okay. Um, questions? And if you're not sure, we go to your resource. Up-to-date's not always the best resource. I, um, you guys... I use Sanford. I use um, there we go. Hopkins. Those two. I bounce between those two and kind of try to merge uh, whichever might seem to give me better information. But those those are resources that they make apps, and some of them do require like an annual subscription, but like it is when you're out in practice, like after residency, you do want a, a resource that is keeping you up to date on, on those kind of recommendations. And that's what like Hopkins and Denver helps you with. Okay. And we kind of mentioned this already. Um, yeah. So staff infection. So if you have like a, Staph aureus bacteremia. That also would be a automatic ID console. Staph empyema, um, even a staph pneumonia. Those are very uh, aggressive or virulent infections that our ID colleagues do appreciate getting called on. Don't want us cowboying it up in the hospital. <laughs> Sometimes you can't even order though. Antibiotic, unless like it'll tell you. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, if you're, yeah, I try to. I think it was. That's a lid. Tried to order that the other day. Oh, yeah. Fine, I'll order bank. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so that, that that's just kind of a rough idea, and hopefully for you uh, for your first years. This, this helps you get a little bit of a head start on how to approach these situations. I look at your um, antibiotic susceptibilities. Um, I think that's all I have for you guys. Any other random questions, thoughts? Add on a thought to our learning. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing, we had a case when I was on um, I do on my ID rotation. Uh, it was an IHI patient on our FMIS service who had been coming to us with recurrent UTIs. 
and she was being given minocyclin because it was one of those like random bugs that was like you know only susceptible to certain things and minocyclin somehow ended up being the option that we kept giving her and so I think it was like three admissions in that she had gotten minocyclin and so finally we our team called an ID consult and so one one learning point for me was I was actually using the MIC values and I agree with Dr. Ganser like a lot of times that's not super great relevance to us but I think in those rare instances where you have an infection that seems to be recurrent and something's not working like you're using your susceptibility charts you're giving the right drugs it says susceptible and you're giving it and you're treating it for the right duration with the right dosing but somehow this patient keeps coming back with the same problem you might want to stop and think what is wrong here something's not right something isn't going the way it should be going and one learning point for me was in Cerner, our MIC values haven't been updated in 10 years. And so Dr. Behenna, yes, so Dr. Behenna pointed, to, pointed me to a website called UCAST, E-U-C-A-S-T.org. That's the organization that actually comes up with the breakpoints uh, that determines which value is considered you know, a good enough value for us to call this susceptible versus resistant. And so going to the source of where our make values should be coming from uh, and looking at these updated values was really helpful. And turns out that this person wasn't actually susceptible to minocycline. It was just that Cerner wasn't updated. And so our lab was calling it susceptible based on old MIC values. And over time, clearly these bugs have developed resistance uh, to minocycline. And so interestingly, in looking at her urine cultures, when she first came her first admission, uh, unfortunately we were like promoting this resistance and we didn't know it because it was a total novel. Yeah, she came in with a value that said less than, less than two. And then her next admission, it was like less than four. And her third admission, it said less than eight. So that value is increasing. The minimum inhibitory concentration, right, is the concentration, the minimum concentration you need for the bacteria to stop growing in a, in a, in a microenvironment. So that concentration kept rising because we were almost promoting this resistance because we were throwing the same drug at a bug that was now developing resistance. Yeah. So if something's, if you come to come across this rare instance where something's just not going the way it should be going, stop and ask yourself, yeah. you know, maybe I should call an ID consult and see what I need to do differently. On a friend. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe try to look up the MIC value, the updated value on the UCAS website and you'll know if this is accurate or not. Yeah, and that, and um, so in a, in a little bit of exaggeration to be practical, I said I don't pay attention to that, but when you start getting into like non-respond, like infections that are unresponsive, then that becomes more relevant, you know? And even this culture, like notice um, the, just empirically looking at how this, like, this is pretty high, you know, um, versus your other susceptible values. And these, these are not apples to apples too, okay? Just keep that in mind. Like, the, um, the antibiotics have different potencies and the MICs are gonna, gonna vary based on the individual potencies of the antibiotic, not just their concentration. So the, the MICs can be different and still be effective, but like um, this 
Proteus with the augmentin here compared to this E. coli um, here, right? Like it's, it's, it's less than the, this dilution. Um, and this is a higher, uh, or I would, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm saying that right, but we're not getting this less than equal to anymore here. Anyway, um, my big takeaway for you guys is ask yourself the questions. Am I, what bug am I treating? Do I use, do I have the right antibiotic? Um, do I have um, factors to consider? And, and so looking at your, having, having some basic knowledge on your microbiology can make, can help you make some earlier decisions in your antibiotic selection, which is weight susceptibility results, or assuming something is susceptible when right off the bat, you know, like a, like the enterococcus, bother with the cephalosporins, the um, MRSA and pseudomonas, you got to have those, those medications in your back pocket. And I just want you all to be able to look at a, a susceptibility table. When you talk to Dr. Bahana or Dr. T, uh, you don't sound like a goof because I have heard, they love talking to me and they, they some of them say, you know, so-and-so didn't know how to read an interpretation or interpret a susceptibility table because they thought it was just that antibiotic that was uh, susceptible to versus this is a class we're testing. I mean, take away. So know that you're treat you're, you're learning the class, not the specific antibiotic. All right. Well, you guys have a great rest of your evening. If there's any other questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A reminder if you guys are